0: Hello and welcome to Energy Policycast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. This particular recording took place in my car, since that was the most convenient recording studio during Covid times, so I hope listeners will bear with a bit of noise from the street. Hopefully that will just add a bit of atmosphere to the recording. In this episode, we continue the path of social acceptance and renewable energy as we have explored in several episodes with Jolev Lokas and Lina Kitzing, among others. As I have dived deeper into energy economics and regulation, I found that it's mainly about widening the bottlenecks to achieve certain targets. For instance, the European 2030 targets for renewable energy. But sometimes it's nice to know what's in the bottle before you widen it. So, today's uh, particular study the bottle contains uh, 176 billion euros of potential renewable financing. That's uh, approximately enough to cut in half the investment gap of reaching 32% European renewable energy by 2030. That's quite something. Today we have uh, Christian de Brouwer as a guest from uh, DTU Wind. He managed to reach out to more than 16,000 people with the survey, laying the groundwork for today's research. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more on this. But first, uh, welcome, Chris. Can you uh, briefly outline who you are and, and where you come from?
1: Yes. Hi, Daniel. Um, really nice to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. Um, big fan of the podcast. So it's it's a pleasure to be here. Um, And yeah, um, my name is Chris. I'm a PhD researcher at DTU Wind Energy, uh, as we speak. Um, And yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, Before joining the the DTU family, um, I, I, well, I did my master's at Lund University uh, in Sweden on uh, environmental studies and sustainability science. Um, uh, Along with that, um, I was actually doing some um, research-based consultancy work in Austria with um, former colleagues at the Energy Institute at the Johannes Kepler University and also before that I was um, involved in uh, I was actually working in in Brussels uh, consultancy-based work and also in the non-profit sector in Brussels and in London
0: wow so you've been around a bit yeah yeah a a true uh, European cosmopolitan (laughs) Right, but nice to have you in Denmark, and uh, nice to, to look into your very interesting study. I really enjoyed, uh, particularly going into to areas of research which are not my own, and and I enjoyed reading your study because I think the the conclusions and the methodology, not least that you applied, was was really interesting. But perhaps you can uh, just uh, explain about the the main motivation of this study. Of course. Uh, this came into being in collaboration with your co-author, but also as part of of a project called the Mistral Project. So, uh, can you explain about this and and the motivation overall for for your study?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's yeah. Thanks for um, bringing that up. This was indeed quite um, quite a substantial effort, and I, mu- and I must uh, acknowledge that this was not uh, solely. It uh, led by myself. This would not have been possible without the colleagues at the Energy Institute. Uh, so um, you know, I, I reach out to them, and and my my kudos to them because they are excellent people to work with. Uh, and then yes, this sixteen thousand people survey was an effort that was co-led by by them. Um, so it's important to take that into account. Um, and yeah, but uh, with that being said, uh, this is um, this this research is kind of embedded in a broader project um, that I'm currently involved in. It's a new funded project by the Marie Curie um, Actions Program. It's an innovative training uh, network, and it's called Mistral. And in essence, the the ambition of Mistral is to educate and form um, a so-called new generation or younger generation of early stage researchers. So we are a bunch of 15 PhD students distributed across, if I believe, I think it's, yeah, six uh, European countries, uh, one of them being Denmark, of course. And yeah, we all, what uh, the the point of of commonality that kind of connects all of us together is that we all share um, a research interest in the so-called social acceptance of renewable energy technology innovation and its deployment in a European context. Um, of course, the uh, the concept of social acceptance must be, taken quite carefully it's it's more of an umbrella concept it encompasses a myriad of different phenomena different stakeholders and it does not uh, pinpoint or narrow down a specific object of research but it's quite uh, quite broad in that respect so of course within social acceptance the different uh, phd students or early stage researchers inquire about specific topics and specific stakeholders within the broader issue of yeah, of social acceptance of uh, renewable energy technology.
0: Mm, and I, I think I should be the first to acknowledge that because going into to this podcasting uh, career, I've learned that social acceptance has, has many different aspects. So, so I'm happy that, that, that you cover one of these today. So perhaps a few words on what citizen finance actually means and how you define that uh, and, and what, how you approached it in, in overall terms in, in your study.
1: Right. Um, yeah, so actually following up from this broader idea of or concept of social acceptance, this study specifically uh, tries to, uh, in some ways, operationalize uh, a specific understanding of social acceptance. So in the existing literature, there seems to be quite a lot of, well, a growing um, Volume of evidence that points to the suitability of uh, more open and participatory means of renewable energy development as a, as a su- suitable tool or suitable process to increase the acceptance or, um, or address the increased contestation or rejection of local communities in situations where these are exposed to a new wind energy developments, for example. So acceptance through participation might be a, a nice kind of buzzword <laughs> to, mm. to, to really capture what this study is all about. Um, nice. We, li- we like new buzzwords. Here. Yeah. OK. <laughs> so acceptance through participation, maybe. Um, and, and the way that uh, me and my co-author, we propose to operationalize this, this, this buzzword in a way is to try to understand um, participation as a means of uh, a collective financing tools or collective financing processes uh, that would enable to operationalize this participation by the average European citizen. Um, that is basically the the kind of the the process that we that we followed. The ambition behind this process or the objective is basically we were trying to better understand and capture. Um, What uh, what elements of a specific investment scheme would actually be most preferred um, by the average uh, European citizen and based on their responses uh, accommodate the most suitable mix of preferred attributes that would then enable to uh, maximize their willingness to invest in a, a co-investment scheme or a collective investment scheme in a renewable energy project.
0: So, so in other words, what what are the the citizens interested in when when they're supposed to, or when when you offer them the option of investing in local renewable energy? Is is that a way to summarise it?
1: Yeah, right. So, um, in order to to try to move forward and navigate this this ambition in a way. We did an experimental research design, so uh, we conducted a choice experiment, and in essence, what we did is we came up with a with a bunch of different scenarios, investment scenarios. Each scenario was conformed. By a random mix of different um, attributes, or uh, yeah, of different attributes. For example, um, the amount of investment that we request to the respondent, the time that needs to be uh, uh, awaited in order to capture the profit generated by that investment, the technology that um, the respondent is asked to invest in. So a combination of different elements randomly um, combined many, 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 many different times and asking the respondents to choose their most preferred combination, let's say. Their most most preferred or the most attractive investment scenario that they think is is most suitable for them or they are most attracted to in a way. And we also complemented that with an option that enabled the respondents to not invest at all. Because, of course, there's people who are just not interested or not convinced or for whatever reason, they just don't want to invest uh, and you need to account for that. So we did include an option that enabled them to just opt out in a way.
0: Okay, so I'm not sure if I'm overextending here, but just to summarize uh, that part. So the choice experiment is, is offering the respondents... Sort of a way to, to build your fantasy football team of, <laughs> of a renewable investment. so you basically pick pick the elements that you prefer the most and then put them together. Is, is, that, is that sort of right?
1: Yeah you could you could frame it along those lines. This, the way you framed it um, would be the, the, the next step. That we all conducted. Right. Um, so let's say we 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 expose the respondents. This the the, the sample of sixteen thousand uh, respondents scattered across uh, all the EU countries plus the UK. Um, and and we we ask them to pick from a combination of different attributes, aggregate it into different investment scenarios, and then once we actually obtain their responses. Um, is where the fantasy football thing that you you just mentioned kind of comes into play. The idea being that um, once we have an idea of what effect different attributes have on the response, on the willingness to... To in this case invest in a specific project, then uh, we take it a step further, and we 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 what we did was we aggregated, we identified the the most preferred attributes on average by the average respondent that would combined would yield would maximize the willingness to invest um, of that respondent of that average respondent, and then translate that into actual into actual investment figure. Um, right. Yeah. So that would be the fantasy C football kind of where you pick the most preferred attributes or players in a way yeah
0: right right so thank th- th- thanks for going along with that thought perhaps uh, just uh fast forwarding uh, a bit into your conclusion um I I know that one, one of your findings, uh, and I've, of course these are also all uh, potential findings, but, but one of the impacts of, of implementing this kind of citizen finance appears to be you could potentially abate uh, over 203 megatons of CO2 equivalent annually and overall result in a 2.4% annual reduction in in greenhouse gas emissions uh, from 2018 levels. So that's actually quite substantial impact that this could have. Uh, And just to understand, would that be on a a European scale um, towards 2030? Uh, Are we talking about something like that?
1: Right, yeah. So this is one of the main kind of... um, Concluding remarks, if you will, that that you could you could identify from this study. Um, the main uh, I would say the main, um, the main result that we were able to come up with here in this study was in terms of the the ability of citizen-led finance or citizen-financed community renewable energy projects to to um, sh- uh, to bridge or to reduce the investment gap that we originally identified an investment gap that is quantified in 179 billion euros um, specifically in regards with the um the the volume of renewable pa- power capacity needed in order to reach uh, what we have still today uh, the 2030 renewable energy target which if if i'm not mistaken it's still 32 percent today
0: yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Right.
1: So we, we kind of uh, identified, all right, we need to uh, at least no less than 32% share in final energy consumption by 2030. This translates into an investment of X. But however, um, the current investment levels uh, fall short of 179 billion euros. To what extent would citizen-financed community renewable energy be able uh, or to to reduce that investment gap, and as you were very well point out, um, the, the the investment sorry the investment uh, coming from citizens would be able to cut in half the investment gap that was originally identified. Yeah,
0: right, right. And just for listeners, when when we record record it here in in this December twenty twenty, uh, things may change slightly uh, compared to when this podcast is published. But but uh, that doesn't move the results overall, uh, which are uh, the relevant thing in, in this discussion. Then moving into the uh, policy relevant. Speaking of policy and and that things are, are moving actually, uh, I know that this study may play into uh, quite. Uh, Pressing and uh, uh, prominent discussions in the EU because things are happening into 2021. There may be clauses on promotion of citizens in energy transition that, that you and I have discussed before this podcast. So perhaps you can just elaborate on how this study can play into to, uh, those policy discussions.
1: Right, yes. Um, so, yeah, basically, in essence, a way to try to um, give meaning, if you will, to, to this analytical output to this, this investment potential or what we call as the social potential, so the social potential of citizen finance is that in, in, in effect, um, under the, the clean energy package, uh, the governance mechanism of the clean energy package foresees that every EU member state uh, design and, uh, and presents a so-called NECP, uh, a, a new um, national energy and climate plan. Uh, and the, the national energy and climate plans need to be presented uh, to Brussels, to the commission, and they need to be validated in order to then be, in order to then transpose EU directives and regulations into national jurisdictions, into national law. And within that um, NECP, that governance mechanism, there are specific clauses that speak explicitly to the to the ambition of of promoting a more proactive participation of European citizens in Europe's energy transition. Um, So we thought about, okay, but maybe uh, our analytical outputs might be a way to inform uh, legislators, policymakers in tailoring more more favorable or citizen-centric policies that would be able to actually unlock the social potential that we have identified through our study. So maybe that would be a good uh, a way to uh, a long way of saying basically the policy relevance of this study is 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 quite um, present. I mean, it's not outdated yeah. or anything. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, moving more into the results side of, of your study, because you have many different and, and quite interesting results I find. Um, overall, you find that the survey responses, and I quote now from your paper, indicate a substantial interest expressed by respondents for participating in, uh, CRE developments, um, via collective financing and co-ownership schemes. So, so perhaps you can just break break that down for us. Uh, I, I see that as one of your main findings that I interpret it as, as uh, that there is a general wide interest in actually moving uh, towards citizen finance.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, that was the, the the first descriptive kind of um, results that we attained just by looking at the response rates and the direction of those dis- responses, really. And uh, the direction of those responses when, when um, aggregated... Uh, uh together they do seem to indicate a quite um, a substantial interest by the average european citizen to 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 participate more proactively in the co-financing of renewable energy assets across across europe um i think you're referring to a table where there seems to be a, a very high rate if i'm not mistaken it was 79% of uh, of respondents who chose to um, invest in at least one of the investment options that was presented to them. And um, around 60% of respondents indicating uh, um, a favorable position in regards to their investment um, choices in all of the investment um, scenarios that was presented to them.
0: That is very, very high, it seems.
1: It seems very high, but it's important to nuance this a little bit. These are 16,000 people who were participating in this survey. And even though they are a representative sample, um, when you look at uh, when you narrow down at national level, you have a lot of heterogeneity. So, of course, um, respondents located in Spain, in Portugal, or in Greece might have a very different. level of acceptance um than those located in finland or in latvia or in estonia so it is important to 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 just nuance this a little bit there's a lot of substantial interest but at the national level that interest is where it starts getting interesting really because you see a lot of nuances and a lot of heterogeneity not only on the level of acceptance and acceptance not sorry on the level on the willingness of co-investment, but on the di- on the direction of this co-investment.
0: Right. Perhaps, yeah. Just just speaking about those geographical differences, I would be curious. Uh, reading your paper, it, it was interesting to see that there were, for instance, some inverse relationships uh, between uh, the the interest in investment and and the present levels of, of renewables. Can you can you just touch upon that?
1: Yeah, it, it was an interesting and, um, and somewhat um, surprising for initial kind of observation that, as you very well say, we we kind of found that um, there, was, there seemed to be a, a, co- a correlation between those countries which, um, in a way, enjoyed high levels of renewable power capacity already installed in their jurisdictions, in their countries, With uh, somehow um, reduced or or quite poor levels of co-investment willingness to co-invest, really. Um, For instance, um, those countries like Germany or Denmark, which enjoy high shares of renewable energy, renewable power capacity already installed, they were those who kind of were a bit more. Their their respondents were a bit more cautious or hesitant. Or conservative, if you will, in their in their willingness to take the investment option that was presented to them, um, we we kind of formulate some informed speculations, if you will, on the reasons that might motivate these observations. Um, but of course, we cannot go beyond to kind of um, infer causality or anything like that. But we we try to contextualize these first observations by kind of. Info- uh, by inform- informed guesses, if you will. And, and that's included also in our interpretation of these results. Then,
0: then uh, maybe going back, you, earlier you mentioned you sort of condensed the, re- the results to, to the ideal fantasy football uh, team. Uh, so that would be a combination of, of uh, technologies and, and return on, rest- on investment uh, uh, or rate of return. Can, can you just elaborate on that uh, again? Um, so so where, where did you actually end up with the ideal case?
1: Right, so yes, so uh, there were a bunch of different um, attributes. One of them being the rate of return, uh, the time that would need that they would need to wait in order to capture the profit of that uh, of that investment. The, the technology, the technology was limited to the two, mo- arguably the two most popular uh, renewable energy technologies: solar PV and wind wind energy um it was onshore wind not offshore and uh um also in regards to the administrator of that of that uh, project we limited that to three options uh government-led administration uh, completely privatized administration normal you know a company a developer or a community-driven uh administration um like a like a cooperative if you will um and um, when we when we um, identified all of their respondents, then we, we were able to aggregate the most, on average, the most preferred variables. Um, and that uh, led us to um, construct a, uh, an optimal scenario. And that scenario combined the most preferred attributes of the respondent, but we then tried to make it a bit more realistic by introducing market-based attributes, like Um, To to try to make it more realistic. Um, So in that respect, instead of um, taking um, the most preferred um, time, uh, waiting time that they would need to wait, uh, we took a 20-year time frame in order to reflect the average lifespan of a wind turbine. And I, and I, I mentioned a wind turbine because that was their most preferred, on average, technology to invest in. So they preferred wind over solar. We included a 20 year uh, investment. We included a market-based um, rates of return in order to reflect the average rate of return that you, that you would obtain today given current wholesale electricity prices. Um, and then they, we also included um, a community-driven administrator like a cooperative because that was their most preferred um, administrator. They preferred on average a community-driven projects, um, uh, on average.
0: Uh, just, just to play the devil's advocate a bit on on this, because I'm I'm uh, regarding the the community-level administration that people apparently preferred that to, for instance, uh, a more uh, higher-level top-down administration. Also in your paper, you mentioned several benefits of community re- renewable energy. And, and I certainly agree on those benefits that's, uh, that they have stronger ties to it and, and larger acceptance and so on and so forth. On the other hand, uh, you could argue and, and I'm, I'm really, it's not to challenge your paper because your paper is not about this, but I'm just curious regarding your, <laughs> your, your reflections. Um, are those citizens actually able to channel their funds in the right direction or will they end up essentially putting their money in the wrong places in, in uh, sub-optimal investments that may not uh, be the most efficient use of those, those funds in a capital-starved uh, renewable sector, perhaps?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a good point. Um, I mean, what this study does not do Clearly, is um, identify the motivations that have led these respondents to choose what they have chosen. We can speculate, have informed guesses as to what has somehow led them to, to choose um, what they have chosen. But this needs to be on, We cannot, This is constrained to the specific attributes that we have exposed them to. We cannot speculate on motivations that go beyond those attributes, precisely because they were not exposed to them and, and we cannot see what's in their minds really, uh, beyond, beyond the, the constraints of the design of, of, of this choice experiment. Uh, as you, I'm sure, and also the speakers uh, are well aware, that um, community-based renewable energy developments are not necessarily um, developments that are profit-oriented in their motivations. There's a lot of citizens that um, that um, are involved in community community-driven formats of renewable energy development, not because of the rate that, of return that they will obtain, but for other societal or environmental concerns that they perceive could be actually materialized and operationalized through their participation in community-driven forms of renewable energy development. So I I don't know if it's so much a question of whether that is the optimal allocation of citizen finance, as much as is is it the most um, um, socially accepted or socially legitimized ways to develop uh, much-needed uh, um, renewal capacity installations at a pace that would enable us to reach um, what are increasingly ambitious, ambitious climate and energy targets. It is not only about um, meeting those targets in a timely fashion, of course, that is of utmost importance, but it is also about ways in which the the completion of those objectives are done in a way that is not detrimental, detrimental to the democratic nature of that transition. So involving citizens through, in this case, um, collective financial financing schemes, as in many other uh, examples or instances, might be one way to operationalize uh, the democratic accountability or the social legitimacy of of reaching those targets, if, if that makes sense. I,
0: I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's actually a nice uh, additional perspective on the traditional engineering and econ- economists. Uh, you, you sort of desi- design this optimal scenario and then anything beyond that or below that is per definition suboptimal. But I right. think <laughs> what, you're bringing, what you're bringing to the stage is actually those money maybe wouldn't be uh, brought to, into investments at the first uh, outset because people are not interested in investing in the optimal part uh, you, uh, and right. then having at least a second best option is better than that not having an option at all I, I i would assume
1: right that's a really good point actually that you that you mentioned there's many the the word optimal or optimality um it's it's should be used cautiously because of course optimal it depends uh, for whom um yeah um so maybe it is a bit better to have a more um a more um, accepted means if if you will even though that's a poor characterization but a more socially legitimized means to mm. deploy renewable energy capacity at the expense of some cost efficiency or some notion of optimality, because otherwise those same investments would have never been unlocked in the first place, perhaps.
0: Before, I I have a, a really interesting finding that I want to discuss, so the re- yeah. the, the, the listeners can, can look forward to that. But before that, I'll, I'll also, uh, just another question, which is uh, sort of a clarifying question, because I've heard the argument uh, against community financing or uh, citizen financing that, the projects simply have become too large and, and too costly for them to, to be part of. That essentially the, the financing structure and, and the amounts that we're talking about is is exceeding what, what can be brought to the table by, by local communities. I know this is not part of the, the paper directly, but I'm interested whether you have all, any reflections on the, on that part.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. You 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 make some really good points. Um <laughs> It's it's very it's it's very true. I mean, the the consistent upward trend, if you will, on the, on technology development, bigger turbines, um, in order to enhance the cost efficiency of the um, of the of the outputs of those technologies, um, is something that is pursued um, as desirable and rightfully so. We should try to be cost efficient as much as possible. Um, but of course, that comes at the expense of some other um, equally desirable attributes, um, not desirable from a purely economic standpoint, but from a society societal standpoint. If we need to give up um, uh, public participation at the expense of increased cost efficiency, then um, there's a trade off to be made. And in that respect, then we lose optimality. Um, mm. Um, so for example, this um, this upward trend in the technology in the development of the technology paired with the the evolution that we have seen in regards with the um, the the changes in the renewable energy support schemes that we see across Europe you know from what we had before which was um, administratively said fitting tariffs these fitting tariffs have actually evolved into a situation that we today have, more auction allocated fitting premiums, and those the evolution of those policies, um, we are starting to observe that it might be detrimental to unlock uh, community based renewable energy developments. Um, so this is something that needs to be taken into account, and and it's a good point because it speaks directly. To the to the results of this study, the, this study is not um, it's not um, claiming, oh, there's a pot of 176 billion euros there waiting to be taken. It is a potential mm. and it is up to policymakers uh, and it is up to all of us to make sure that the conditions are optimal or, or right enough to capture a, 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 a part of that potential.
0: So. Uh, one interesting finding that, that I, I was really puzzled by is, uh, listeners may know the NIMBY effect that, that you may want to criticize, you know, in a short while, but, but the NIMBY is, of course, short for not in my backyard. But what you actually found was, and I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing your study correctly, but you may correct me if I'm wrong, is that people actually want to pay to have a wind turbine in their backyard. That's sort of putting it to, to the, extreme uh, but maybe I'm I'm, I'm being uh, a bit too uh, interpretive of, of your study but can you elaborate on this willingness to actually have that in your backyard and, and pay for it
1: yes absolutely I mean uh, maybe uh, the way you put it paying to get a turbine on my backyard perhaps is not the the uh, the most straightforward interpretation. <laughs> um, hope hopefully people will have a more nuanced understanding of of what these findings really mean. But at least, I mean, you could interpret it in many in many ways. Of course, the way I I I interpret it is that, um, and it was actually quite a, of a surprise, to be honest, because you know, conventional wisdom, if you will, or intuition somehow would tell you that. Who would like to have a wind turbine nearby um, under any circumstance? Um, given the evidence that we have in regards with, look, there seems to be, um, there's, uh, th- this, this wind uh, development seem to be quite controversial in regards with the local communities that need to uphold uh, um, those developments for 20 years, you know? Um, so it is not so much that uh, the respondents manifested a willingness to ha- to pay for having a wind turbine in their backyard. What they did, to our surprise, what they did manifest was um, a preference over solar on average across Europe, a preference of wind te- to co-invest in wind technologies administered by a community-driven entity. Um, Above um solar, solar projects, solar technologies, uh, and that uh, as you very well say speaks uh, a lot to this to another buzzword, the NIMBY effect. Um, the NIMBY effect, which still today, um, I would I would um exercise a lot of caution in throwing out that term because it is quite misleading. There's a lot of literature out there that points to the need to be more sensitive and more critical to 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 the nimby effect and other similar concepts because they really do not capture the richness and the nuances behind what they aim to 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 make reference to the nimby effect seems to be very very quite straightforward uh, concept that basically says look not in my backyard um you know, there's local opposition. Therefore, we need to somehow make sure that the developments occur in situ- in places where do not affect um, the people surrounding it. Um, but the NIMBY effect I think sp- speaks much more to to the need to entangle uh with much more sensitivity developments that necessarily need to gain uh, the the acceptance, the legitimacy of the of the communities that will inevitably be related to it. Mm. Um, but
0: I, I, think, I think, thanks for that answer. And I think you, you put it uh, quite clearly and in, in, in a very brief manner from, in your paper where you say European citizens are also more willing to invest if they see the renewable energy installation from their household. So right. that, yep. I think that part alone is is uh, just uh, makes this uh, study worth reading. So I de- can definitely recommend uh, listeners to to have a further look. Of course, we'll put links to Chris's profile and, and the paper in, in the show notes uh, for, for listeners to access.
1: And, and just a word of clarification, if I may, Daniel, mm-hmm. um, just following from that last remark, they do seem to express an increased willingness towards um, to see that wind uh, wind energy, wind technology, as long as they are co-investing in it.
0: Exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. Maybe that wasn't clear enough, but yeah, sure. Because
1: you you can see local communities which have no stakes, financial stakes, in this case whatsoever, to the wind turbine that is in their backyard, <laughs> so to speak. And in those situations, I would argue there's not going to be an increased willingness to accept no. any sort of infrastructure for that matter. No, no.
0: No, that's a good point. And, and I think that's that's the fundamental premise of, of your study as well, to, to look into this. Yeah. Regarding solutions and, and recommendations uh, that you can make based on these uh, results and findings, um, what do you find as needed to drive uh, increased uh, citizen financing and consumer investment, uh, if, if you can call it that?
1: Um, from a policy standpoint, you mean, or...
0: I think broadly, perhaps uh, you mentioned, for instance, uh, there need to be a lower risk exposure, for instance uh, to to the citizens or, or other other measures that can be taken to actually ensure at least widening the bottleneck for for those hundred and seventy six billion euros uh, yeah or w- whatever it might be
1: yeah, I like the I like the way you put it widening the bottleneck it's a good it's a nice way to <laughs> to put it, but uh, yeah, I mean we outline a few. I don't want to say recommendations, but a few insights that could help guide um, legislative efforts to tailor more citizen-centric policies um, to unlock that social potential of 176 billion euros across Europe. Right? One of the the one of the nuances that we make very explicit is that the the design of the choice experiment was constructed uh, in a way that and communicated to the respondents a guaranteed return on their investment.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: regardless of the level of that return, is it, it, will it, they make it, will it be more profitable or less profitable regardless of the profit? What we did communicate was that this profit was guaranteed no matter what. So there was a lot of, um, reassurance if you will, or yeah, or stability in 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 their investment there was a lot of security right of course this does not really reflect um the real world the real world i would argue very few investors would guarantee state of, uh, a level of return at that specific rate for that much amount of, for that uh, amount of time but it, it is a, and we didn't think about it um, um at those stages but afterwards the that um that nuance, the way that we expressed it, we guarantee a rate of return regardless of that rate. Um, it's a way to kind of reflect a bit of the policy environment that would be needed in order to unlock that social potential. So in other words, mm. if, uh, if um, policymakers can somehow approach as close as they can a guaranteed um, financial return through you know regulatory certainty um, um, fixed fitting tariffs for example um, m- measures that would enable to get as close as possible to a guaranteed state of financial return then that would be perhaps our desirable road to explore at least explore um, mm. but what we see today is that market conditions are being increasingly challenging for, community based formats let's say um, and the policy measures that are being introduced or substituted do not do n- do not make the financial case for community renewable energy any any easier
0: it's actually interesting I can say from personal experience i I know of at least one investor platform that can uh, where I have do have actually put a bit of my savings into for investment in solar uh, pr- projects in in Africa. Whereas How's I wouldn't it? know where to put my money if I was to put it in a neighboring uh, community in in within my own uh, boundary and borders, so that's that's an interesting discrepancy that that I think you maybe also describe theirs.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, the so-called uh, the this crowdfunding platforms, if you will. Exactly. Mm. Yeah.
0: So taking a peek into uh, the future, um, I know in December 2020, uh, we saw EU leaders propose uh, uh, at least an increase uh, in greenhouse gas reduction by 2030 by 55%. And let's see where that ends, but but it may need uh, an increased need for financing of renewables uh, beyond the 32% that's initially been agreed upon. And I know I mean this is also not part of, of of the core of your study but but interested to hear if you see any directions that that uh, this can take uh, in relation to your study
1: right um, I mean if anything what this is telling us these latest developments uh, which are actually quite recent um, if anything what they tell us is that the the uh, yet an increased or enhanced need to to reach out to to the european people right mm, in mm. to to more proactively partake in in that transition um so reaching out uh, being a bit more ambitious and reaching out and trying to develop ways to involve those citizens beyond the smart consumption model you know demand site management smart homes smart appliances demand follow supply um go beyond that and instead of um Instead of operationalizing citizen involvement through a smart consumption, perhaps it'd be good to entertain the idea of involving citizens through smart production as well um, and if there's an increased ambition um, to to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by fifty five or fifty percent by twenty thirty that will inevitably come with an increased share of renewable energy uh, uh, final consumption uh, way above 32% and that will have direct implications on uh, the extent of citizen involvement in realizing or actually slowing down that 32 or or more percent of renewable energy in in financial in in final energy consumption so yeah um I, I, there's, there's a lot of uh, very very exciting new business models that that aim to operationalize this through also the combined means of, um, you know, the digital transformation of the European society, you know, uh, innovative business models like virtual power plants or, 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 or other similar to those that in a way, try to generate conditions that would be suitable and friendly enough to, again, um, tap into some of that social potential. Mm. Uh, to expedite the transition rather than slowing it down.
0: And really, I, I think you could argue that this is uh, your study and, and the situation that the world is in now is sort of the perfect storm for, for actually doing this because we have people uh, whose bank accounts is, is, if not booming, then at least a bit higher than they were the year before because they haven't been uh, able to spend that much of, of those money and, and they're sitting waiting for for to make such investments so and then the, in the combination with increased targets uh, i think you could certainly make the argument that that your study shows uh, the direction that it, it could go and, and the potential that it could take so yeah, yeah it just increases the urgency i guess of of uh, deploying the results that that you've made in your study i'm, I'm curious how what did you find uh, or what what's the relevant next steps of your study how how can you expand on this and, and what are you cur- currently looking at perhaps as well
1: well i mean there's definitely many many ways to go f- uh, from from where we leave the the from the concluding remarks of our study i think there's many many ways to go and to take up the that study and, 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 and advance it in some ways. Um, so I mean, again, we, we do this at the, at the European level uh, and that is very, is, I think it's quite, quite good because, um, we, we gain a lot of, de- uh, of, of breadth, uh, but that comes at the expense of a lack of, uh, richness or of depth narrowing down to national jurisdictions and even the, an even lower, um, Um, administrative units to specifically Mm. capture that heterogeneity of responses would be I think very good Uh, and it would enrich much more um, the findings that we that we outline in our study Um, because again there's a lot of heterogeneity there's not one European citizen there's many with many different ambitions and uh and uh, and ideas um, and of course this uh, this is not fully captured by this by this study. So narrowing it down to national jurisdictions or beyond would be, I think, I would be interested to see something like that. Um, yeah, and perhaps also take on. Um, uh, we discussed it a little bit. Uh, the policy implications and explore those on a more uh, more accurately. Uh, what what regulatory and legislative landscape. Uh, would be suitable um, to unlock this potential and, and what would that imply? Um, and also related it with with uh, with the the process of transition of, of of change that that Europe is actually undergoing. Um, so yeah, I think there's many many ways that you could actually take this and and expand it or or, or nuance it a bit more. yeah
0: right, right. So if if uh, if we have any policymaker listeners uh, with uh, some access to funding, the the return on investment of throwing a few thousand uh, euros towards Chris uh, may be one hundred seventy six billion euros uh, across Europe. So that's quite an investment that I would recommend uh, anyone to take
1: take part of. Yeah, very optimistic. <laughs>
0: before we uh, we finish off i would i would like to uh, just have this informal part the the peer review where where you perhaps recommend uh, various stuff which may or may not be related to what we have discussed today so i'm i'm curious to hear if you've brought anything for me and, and the listeners today
1: yes <laughs> of course um maybe i will brag a little bit here <laughs> Go ahead. It's, it's a time for bragging. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think just if people are interested in, in in this study or any any questions in regards with the social acceptance of uh, of uh, renewable energy innovation, they should definitely check check out the Mistral website. Um, there's very really brilli- a bunch of really really brilliant young and ambitious uh, researchers there who are doing excellent and really really interesting research. So. You know, reaching out to them through the Mistral website would be a, a good starting point, I guess. Um, um, and then, of course, moving beyond academia, if you will. Um, there's this new, there's this new blog that I've checked out that I think is really, really interesting. It's this guy called David Roberts. He was previously at um, at Vox, um, and now he he went his own way and started his own project on. On you know the politics of the energy transition and and it seems quite promising. I started following him and it's it's definitely a place to draw inspiration from if you're lacking ideas or to get excited about the transition yourself. So maybe that's another spot to check out. Yeah,
0: it's called uh, Volt or something, right? Isn't it? It's Volt. Uh, Yeah. 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 Volt. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Very good recommendations. So, Chris, thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure, and then I've, it's been great to have you on board. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I hope the listeners have as well, on, on the uh, ever-increasing uh, aspects of, of uh, social acceptance and beyond.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Daniel. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Thanks.
0: As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneum. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound Design is by Dear Cesar and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy PolicyCast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening.